Hey Rebels, welcome to another episode of the Countercool Podcast. We got our awesome uh, trio here, me, Outlaw, Dick, and uh, Maddie. And man, we're just going to talk about the Kabbalah and uh, the Sohar. And uh, just a quick announcement, um, our brother Maynard's having some uh, troubles again uh, with his health. So you guys uh, want to shoot some positive vibes and energy his way or pray for him, whatever um whatever you sub- subscribe to uh send him some uh love over there and uh as yeah, pray for a quick recovery for him and um yeah anyway uh you guys have any announcements uh no man uh just to just to add to what you just said though uh if anybody does if anybody is in the position that they're able to donate um we do have uh we do have his gofundme uh maynard's gofundme links up on the um uh, on the discord and has one of the channels um they can it's a link to his uh his gofundme page which will explain everything but yeah he uh they let uh, i think rosemary actually sent me a message today in discord and and had uh advised me that uh, she had spoken to colleen who had spoken to maynard and he is definitely he's back in the hospital and, uh actually i believe he wrote me, he wrote me as well you know, said things were said he was city had been doing pretty rough. So, like I said, any prayers and, and you know, if anybody is in the spot they can help him out, we do have a link to his GoFundMe on our Discord. Yeah, awesome. So again, let's uh send some good energy and prayers his way. And uh um, yeah, absolutely. And, we love yeah. you, Maynard. We we definitely, definitely will be uh <laughs> uh praying and sending good wishes to you, brother. All right, man, let's get this going. So again, guys, we're going to talk about um, the Kabbalah and the Sohar. And uh, I know Maddie's been doing a shit ton of research on this. Yeah, I mean, hell yeah, yeah. He had countless hours of research. <laughs> this, let, let, me, let me just fucking bring this in. This motherfucker, love his heart, <laughs> legitimately typed up an essay and sent it to me. I'm like, oh gosh, you can have it, brother. You, this is all you know, man. This is all you. So he's he is definitely putting his, his time into this. I do what I can. You know what I mean? That's... You're, you're the man, Maddie. Swing it. <laughs> hey, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. well, let's bring yeah, it Maddie. in, brother. Yeah, dude. Uh, just tell us, um, or our listeners, what the uh, Kabbalah is. Just like a basic, because um, I know it's basically unexplainable, but it uh, is near unintelligible yeah it's just like a well you know what i mean just a quick uh synopsis of what the kabbalah is and we'll just uh dig deep into it all right oh i'll do my best so kabbalah is a practice in jewish mysticism that began as is currently defined um circa the 13th century um, the, the Hebrew word Kabbalah itself is defined as received or to receive, and it's an esoteric practice um, trying to gain a connection between our reality and the the infinite, the infinite Yahweh. Uh, sounds a little bit like CERN. Uh, <laughs> maybe different maybe different route of travel but that's that's you know well yeah. that's not entirely off it's um uh what's the word i'm looking for it's uh basically um 
trying to transcend other dimensions as well. So, yeah, you're definitely right there, Dick. It's um, there's definitely a relation. Let's go, ahead, let's go ahead and say that Albert Hoffman created a way to do that back in 30, like 1933. Um, and uh, it was uh, it was called acid or <laughs> acid diethylamide my number 25. <laughs> uh, DNT, uh, which I don't know. I'm sure. Uh, but let me. I'll let Maddie get into it. But I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's. Uh, there's probably some ties. There's probably some some things that we can tie up there in between yeah. that, that links into to the to hallucinogens and everything too. I will say this before Maddie starts. So there's a reason in uh, pre-World War II why Hitler was going after this stuff, like uh, the relics and not only uh, the relics, but books like uh, stuff related to the Kabbalah um, and other esoteric stuff, a lot of Judaica and rabbinic, rabbinic, I can't even say, it, rabbinic literature. Yeah. And that's been the, that's been the case for most of its history. And you'll notice in like modernity, you've got the Hermetic Kabbalah, you've got a Christian Kabbalah, and it's kind of it's kind of just been spread through pretty much every every esoteric anything since literally like the 1300s. Um, now, in my opinion, it is important to understand. What kind of led up to this? Because you've got a good period of time before Kabbalah, as it's like I said, as defined by what we see today, was like only the 13th century, so it's still relatively fresh. Um, and in stages, what we see is a development towards this mysticism. At first, you've got the Theophanies, um, like the Theophany of Ezekiel where Ezekiel sees Yahweh uh, coming and it's as a wonderful chariot and a great storm, later seeing Yahweh leave the temple and then the third time seeing Yahweh come back. Um, those sort of theophanies play a big role for several hundred years. Um, and then you kind of phase over into an era of prophecy. Um, now, if you look at the Talmud, the list of prophets is 55 in total, seven of which are women, um, and one of whom was possibly a Canaanite, but there is also an argument that he was Aramean, and that is uh, Balaam, son of Behor, and he's actually listed or discussed in the Book of Numbers. Um, and of course you had prophecy widely attested in pretty much all of ancient Near East, um, the Neo-Assyrians, the Hittites all had some form of prophet. Oh, yeah. I was looking, um, I don't I, I was thinking <laughs> Elijah, but I was thinking that he was equal, but it's not it's not Ezekiel, it was Elijah. I was thinking of the, one of the ones that died without having to go or went to heaven without having to die. If I'm not mistaken, Elijah also brought some dead people back. He resurrected some folks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which actually comes up 
later here in this. It's it's of course, all kind Enoch, of Enoch was the was the other. Yeah, right, and that Enochian stuff plays a big part in here. The uh, actually relatively well because the next era after prophecy was apocalypticism. Um, so from around like 586 BCE to 135 ish, um, there was a big time of political upheaval and theological upheaval as well, because the last independent Jewish state was destroyed. And it was kind of a time and again thing where it was one adversary or another, often Rome and apocalypticism became very, very popular. And that's also right around the same time we see the shift to the mysticism. And it's interesting because Enoch is very much an apocalyptic kind of vision, but it's also very related to the Hecalope Merkaba and Sartor mystical practices that we see in this early development of Jewish mysticism. Um, the the Hecalo Merkava is attributed to the, the Tanim or the repeaters, and those were early rabbis from the period of the Mishnas, which is the, the written record of what was previously oral laws that supplemented Torah. Um, the, the biggest one that we're going to hear a bunch about is Rabbi Akiva. Um, but there's also Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Nehunya ben Hakana. Um, <laughs> I didn't catch that last one. What was the last one? Uh, it's Rabbi Nehunya ben Hakana. Monica. <laughs> um, now, the the Markava is chariot. That's that's the translation of chariot, which is important because in a lot of the visions leading up to this, when like uh, Ezekiel, for instance, sees Yahweh coming, he's on a chariot. Um, this is one of the biggest pieces of iconography or symbolism that we have when we we discuss as like a just the concepts in archaeology, you'll see Yahweh on a winged wheel, which is likened to a chariot. So some of the earliest practices we have are the Merkava or uh, the chariot practices and the Hecalot, which is the palaces um, or temples. And what would happen is you would have often one of those three rabbis I mentioned descend into the divine palaces journey through the palaces, interact with angelic guards, and then oftentimes they would have visions of the divine throne. But there was also the option of sitting on the divine throne and transforming into an angel. Um, and the biggest, <laughs> the biggest literature on this is called the Sefer Hecalot, which is also uh, Third Enoch. Um, and in that, we have Enoch's journey to heaven on the storm chariot, where he sits on the divine throne and becomes Metatron, who is the scribe of God, and also at times referred to in the literature as little Yahweh. Um, and he also receives the secrets of creation and cosmology in this transmogrification into an angelic being. Enoch does. Is that what you're saying? Enoch turns into this? Yes. 
Decepticon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Enoch becomes uh, Metatron there. Yeah. Uh, I gotta make you laugh, Matty. Come on. It's my, it's my, it's my only <laughs> No, function. man, I appreciate it. <laughs> my no, only, I my only mean... function here is, is comedic, comedic <laughs> relief. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember uh, when I was studying Kabbalah, um, you were mentioning about tra- or going into these divine spiritual palaces and encountering angels. I remember reading about how sometimes the angels would challenge would challenge the person going into these palaces and right they would even kill you at times or yes no yeah but would kill who like somebody that's going to yeah yeah if you so there's there there in an, in quite great detail these things are discussed in uh in the heckle literature and the Merkava literature you've got a detailed lists of complicated passcodes you, you had to know seals angelic names and uh oftentimes in the literature they would also have hymns because the people having this experience would kind of recite what they were seeing in hymn form and they would write those down um and there's there's evidence even of this in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about uh, being caught up into the third heaven, um, which is interesting because that kind of shows that even at the time of Paul, uh, Merkava and Hecala mysticisms were still being fairly liberally practiced. Um, but there is a story also in the uh, tractate Hagiga 14b of the Babylonian Talmud, um, where Rabbi Akiva takes three other rabbis with him into the garden, um, and he warns them, hey, there's going to be a test, and what you're going to see is going to look like water. But don't answer water because it's... uh, marble maybe um but it looks like water if you answer water it's going to be a bad time well they get down there (laughs) and sure enough the other three were tricked um one of them dies one of them goes insane the other one is a rabbi known as uh elisha ben abuya and he is later known as aker or the other because he somehow gets around the illusory test. Either he passes it or he finds some way around having to do it. And uh, he he goes around it and he sees Metatron, Enoch, yeah. on the divine throne. And he comes back from this and he says, hey, guys, um, there are two powers in heaven and was immediately the most shunned and scorned rabbi in the history of all Judaism, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Only Rabbi Akiva actually makes it out of the whole thing. Now, an interesting little addition to this is uh, in the the Talmud, the angel Gabriel beats Metatron for sitting on the divine throne and causing this (laughs) whole series of confusions. Wow. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> no, you done messed up, dude. It says it gave him fiery lashes. 
for for causing this confusion. And Aker, the other, he was punished as soon as he died. They said that smoke rose from the dirt after they covered him. So he was immediately punished for this massive blasphemy, what was which is blasphemy? another. His, that's the guy that came back and he saw Metatron oh. on the divine throne. And he said, hey, there's two powers in heaven. And yeah. they they immediately were like, so now nah, where is this place you, that we're talking about? Maybe it's just uh, maybe I'm I'm just lost. But that, that where's it? So that they went to this place. That where's where's this? Right. Place? So what the the way it's described is that you would these rabbis would descend into the palaces. So you're looking at the divine, uh, just the the divine realm. Essentially, you're making your way through the palaces and gates to try to get to the, the divine throne. And how'd they get there? Like, uh, is that, is this a place that you go to? No, no, no. It's, like uh, it's more like, think, uh, think like out of body experience. Yeah. Like a yeah. meditative out of body experience. Okay. So All they right. would, they would go into these, these States and they would, kind of astral project themselves yeah. into these into these That's, divine realms these are lucid lucid astral projection right. type yeah but yeah, yeah and that's why yeah, i yeah. want to clarify this so we can the, keep on track so probably the easiest way to to really describe these early jewish mystic practices would be yeah. uh would be like shaman and that's of course quite literally dictated to a specific person in like a a slavic uh belief system if i'm not mistaken yeah um so that's not the word but that's the best word that i have that comes to mind when you're looking at these kind of practices these so guys guy, would this guy sees this guy sees enoch uh in metatron form or, or whatever sitting on uh the divine throne and he goes back and he says there he tells he he tells uh these people that that there are two powers there in heaven and and then he's killed that's what you're saying then they buried well him. no no they just shunned the shit out of it they oh. pretty much were like dude you're he didn't even practice he didn't even practice law anymore right like he put everything aside because he was so shunned they just didn't they just didn't fool with him ever again they literally nicknamed this guy the other and they were like no you're you're just full of heresy get out and then when he died his he was so immediately divinely punished that once they threw the dirt on him, there was just smoke coming from his grave. Wow. Why would he well, so why was he punished? I mean, he just went back and told what he saw. Right, right. Well, and that's the reason I think that in the Talmud they add the the tidbit about Metatron also being punished, since his seating on the throne was what caused the whole confusion in the first place. Um but yeah, he was he had committed blasphemy. He had he had heresied. Um, so that was why he was so so heavily punished, which is also kind of interesting because as you go through this this evolution of this Jewish mysticism, like I said earlier, um, you know, Metatron, aka scribe of God, aka little Yahweh. So the people who were practicing this or reading this or talking about this in any serious manner saw the the transmogrified enoch as the angel metatron 
to be extremely high ranking in the divinity scale to consider him little Yahweh. Um, well, yeah, well, I mean, little Elohim. I mean, once again, you're talking about one of two people that were taken from the planet without dying, you know. So, I mean, obviously, right. God, obviously Yahweh had a, uh, you know, uh, an affinity for this person. Yeah. yeah. He definitely had an interest in the two or, or something for them to do, you know, or, or some kind of uh, prophecy for them to uphold. But uh, that is uh, I, the, the Metatron thing blew my mind. I mean, I'm like, like, we thought, are we, are these guys, they turned into Transformers? uh but no seriously that's crazy i did these are things i've never heard that's why i'm you know yeah yeah uh, and that was but they that that's pretty you know these are pretty it sounded like some pretty uh crazy detailed let me ask you something ac you've done done all this stuff what so people that want to follow along with this because i think we're gonna we're gonna end up making more like two or three parts out of this so people that want to follow along with this is is there a, a certain translation of the Kabbalah that's that's the easiest for people to? <laughs> so there's a, a large difficulty there, which is most of this actual literature has not been translated from even like old Aramaic. Um, now you can find copies of the Zohar um, and I'm sure between Outlaw and I, we can post up some decent like uh references that you can put your hands on um i also use uh dr justin sledge's youtube channel esoterica um as well as the uh seekers of unity youtube channel they do a lot of really in-depth kabbalah stuff Um, we definitely need to put those up that way we you know because dude what you're saying already got me like Wow, this is crazy shit, man. I'm sure people are gonna, <laughs> sure people are gonna want to read into it their stuff and follow along. So that's that's uh you know that's pretty cool to have. But uh and we'll we'll definitely post those in the links, guys. No, yeah, man. Like I said earlier, there's a reason why people like Hitler went after this stuff. It it's that forbidden. Well, I wouldn't say forbidden, but just that knowledge itself and that knowledge is a lot of power so do you want to talk about a name that gets thrown around a lot this motherfucker had his hand and dick in everything <laughs> yeah. Hitler is a, you know really if you think about it i'm, I'm not a hitler because i think he was a piece of shit but i also know he's got ties to the rothschild family but um but that being said this uh, like you think up a, a shitty event or some crazy mystic or, or crazy awesome mystic shit uh ufos but there's shit, there's shit out there everywhere with Hitler's name on, you know. Well, here's the kicker, man. So apparently, um, Hitler and I, Stalin. Well, I was gonna were, say ties to the Catholic Church. Well, not only that, they were both um, students of uh, esoteric knowledge. Uh, they were actually students of some high-ranking. Uh, I can't remember who it was at that point. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I wouldn't say mage, but um, uh, uh, pow- powerful elite family. Let's put it that way, right? With a uh, uh, eso- highly uh, dangerous esoteric knowledge. Yeah, you know, and and not not to mention, dude, a lot of this stuff, like it, it incorporates different ideologies too, like. Yes, bits and pieces. very much so. That, that, and that's kind of like where you come from with the polytheistic uh, point of view too, Maddie. A lot of the stuff, uh, 
even if they are talking about the same um, deities, the, a lot of the times they they're it, it's the same deities or the same entities, same uh, you know, like there are certain characters. I, I, I'm not. I don't want to call them characters. But there are certain people that are in the Bible, uh, biblical yeah. names that show up in other texts and other uh, yes. forms of religion, other forms of other, uh, you know, other forms of theology. And, uh, you know, he shows up in Rosicrucians, you know, you've got, uh, you've got, you know, even the, uh, even the Luciferian, uh, the most Luciferian people have certain, you know, they at least know or acknowledge some of this stuff. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Even, even Crowley practice practiced yeah uh, at least That's who I in, had in mind too. In, yeah yeah he at least practiced some variation of hermetic kabbalah um and just as a member of like uh the oto would have any any member of the golden dawn itself would have been familiar with kabbalah um it's all over the place and you know i kind of i kind of teased a bit of this um on the powwow with the AI guys, shout out Appalachian intelligence. Love you guys. Um, and in there, you know, like even from my perspective, which is just kind of believing in everything, this isn't something that I would adopt as a practice just because I'm not familiar with all, all the little aspects, all the grassroots Jewish tradition that really plays into some of it, which kind of hinders my understanding, which is why I refer back to Dr. Justin Sledge and Seekers of Unity and, uh, and Keeping I'm currently, and many sources, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to get in touch with some rabbis to see if they can help, uh, kind of help me fill in the gaps with some of the stuff, but just the, just the idea that we'll get to here shortly with the Sephirot, you know, even if you're not a full on, Kabbalist or you know occult practitioner these things that make up that tree of life after a certain point are kind of just excellent meditation points just kind of ways to to clear your mind and focus on certain aspects of if not the universe yourself and and kind of clear everything out um but you know that's just my perspective on that yeah no that's no, I, yeah. Mean, I appreciate it i like yeah, you know, I like it. Uh, <laughs> um, different perspectives, even on the show, you know, just between all of us. Yeah, you know, we've all got our own subscriptions, and we all keep an open mind. Everybody yeah. else says, "Yeah, you have to, you have to." One thing is for yeah. sure. There's one thing for certain, and and I'm now I'm I am, a, you know, I'm I'm a believer in Yeshua, but I'm going to tell you this, and, and I don't care. You know, I'm, I don't want to offend anybody, but you know, I don't. I don't care to put it out there, even if it does. That is the fact that the King James version that's sitting on everybody's table around here is a man molested version of the Bible. And first off, and secondly, a lot of these characters that show are that show up in the Bible or show up in other theologies intermingle somewhere. They there are a lot of them that, like we just mentioned, that are that are in different uh, that show up in different forms of theology. Jesus was even you know. Uh, considered a prophet by the muslims uh yeah. you know uh you speak of jesus to a muslim they'll say peace be with him you know that's these you know so there, it's in there are bits and pieces of of every religion that seems in all of them and i think 
that there are people like you that then I both that it eats up and we're trying to we're like well, I want I need to know the answer you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> search for the truth but you know then you look back in time and you've got people like King James who translated the Bible who obviously omitted a lot of it uh, yeah and I oh I was just gonna say and uh I, um you guys want to read the Bible man I recommend the Geneva version of the Bible and uh the Ethiopian Bible. Ethiopian, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're not going to reference the 1619 Vulgate? And that. <laughs> uh, uh, I, if you can I, read Latin. <laughs> yeah, it's a pain. Um, I recommend reading, at least knowing, you know, there, there, there's nothing against knowing your enemy, but the, sometimes you don't realize that uh, some of the people were, that you follow or were involved, ask, go and ask, I challenge anybody, go and ask any church going, uh, you know, uh, claiming Christian uh, and, you know, and probably great people not putting anybody down by any means, but ask them if they know uh, that they knew that King James authored the, the book of demonology. And you're like, right. You're gonna get the the most you blasphemous heretic look, and they're and you know because they don't know this. The people don't know there are a lot. There's a lot of history that is clouded or left out. So that's what you know, especially stuff like this. You know, getting this the mysticism and stuff. These are this isn't just you know woo woo shit. You know, people have been meditating and speaking to entities yeah. for a lot longer. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. Here since post 2020 things have gotten really <laughs> spiritual and, and, you know, people are, are starting to see a lot of the conspiracy theorists and the theologians are starting to merge, you know, and they're like, Oh shit, you know, these, you know, this has been right. Or this has been right. Or there's pieces of this that sound like, you know, now. So. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I think there's an important reason. And I, I kind of, teased on this too the other night there's an important reason that some of this stuff was explicitly hidden away there's a rabbi that we'll discuss when we get into like uh closer to zohar stuff named uh soggy nahor um and he was adamantly against writing any of this stuff down publicly discussing any of it because then everybody's going to end up with it and who knows what will happen yeah, you know, well, just think and about that power. You look at all, look at the meth head walking down the street in the in your Dollar <laughs> right. General, or you know, what if right. they had this information? <laughs> yeah, because those are the guys we want representing us at the divine <laughs> throne. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but there were some serious issues caused, and you know, there's a, the reason a lot of this stuff I think ends up being being hidden or or being very very strictly dictated as to who can study this Kabbalah stuff it ends up that way because a lot of these guys ended up thinking they were the Messiah. And, you know, typically when people think they're the Messiah, well, they end up real dead real fast, but there were a few instances um, to kind of, to kind of get into a few things outside of what I had prepared. There's a guy named uh, Sabatai Zavi. And, he had like every Jew on the globe at this time ready to go back. They thought this dude was the Messiah. And then 
that's dangerous, man. Yeah, and it didn't work out. And, and it didn't work out for reasons that I'm sure we'll get to at some point. But like, like that's in South a, America. It don't really work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it was it was a rough one there. Um, but to jump back on here, so as we've got this this whole series of stuff, we've got the the descent into the garden, which is very probably a descent into Sheol, which would have been that around that time would have been how the afterlife was viewed was underneath. Um, so that kind of lines up and we've got we've got this whole thing. Now, there's one more form of mysticism that's kind of happening at this time, and that was uh, Shior Kama, which was like the most taboo of them because what would happen was these people would go into trance and begin citing hymns and things of that nature or meditating on a Hebrew letter, something, something like that. And they would start listing the measurements of God's body parts and naming them. Yeah. Yeah. So this was, and it's, and it's really interesting because around the same time, slightly after, we have a guy named Maimonides, and he wrote Guide to the Perplexed. And it is fairly evident that he did that because of, of this uh, Shior Kama, because the whole thing is God does not have a corporeal body. God does not have a corporeal body. God does not have a corporeal body. And these guys were literally taking measurements. Now, the measurements were in Persian parasangs, which is about three and a half miles per parasang. And it was just ridiculous measurements. I think, like, uh, from what I understand, I think the beard of Yahweh is supposed to be something like 10,500 miles long. Did I hear that right? 10,500 miles long? Roughly, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't have that that information right in front of me, uh, but that was one of the things that kind of cracked me up when I was watching Dr. Sledge's videos is because he was like, yeah, so the divine beard is just like huge. It's the the whole and everything is oddly named. It was a It was a very taboo practice at the time, and they still wrote it all down. That's fucking nuts, man. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no pun intended. Could you imagine if your beard was 10,000 miles long, man? Oh, wow. I mean, I, I, you don't even know, want to know where my mind went when you were talking about measurements. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's odd is. Uh, Oh, I gosh. guess one of the classes Dr. Sledge had had been teaching, one of his students went to his CAD program and started typing in these measurements. And the like, apparently God has like crazy long fingers, like eerily long fingers, according to these measurements. So you can see why people were like, no, this is heresy. God does not have a corporeal body. Quit it. Bad. <laughs> yeah, I can see. Yeah, I can see that being a issue. 
Um, well, I mean, uh, you're talking about times too when somebody disagreed with you on on something uh, that was religious or um, something divine. They kill you. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Like even if you both believed in the same thing and you thought his cuff link on the left was longer than his right, you fuck you, you die right now. Yeah, yeah. Either that or get exiled. Yeah. Yeah. We'll stone you, we'll exile you. And that's why you find a lot of this stuff again, like a lot of it was very, very privately privately practiced up until there you'll notice that when things look really bad, like the world's about to end then it starts getting a little more open and a little more shared. And that kind of comes from the idea that we'll see as we get further in here, that practicing Kabbalah and practicing rabbinic law or, or Metzvah um, is kind of how each individual does their part to restore the, restore the balance and the harmony and get the the sephira all all stable and in their in their tree of life formation so that the messiah can come back a lot to take in <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it gets it's a man it gets real deep and it's kind of interesting cuz all this early stuff that that we're talking about is intersecting with ancient egyptian and mesopotamian forms of magic and you can see that in a lot of the in a degrees through the Sefer HaRazahim and the Sefer Yetzirah um, and a lot of the other Middle Age kind of Kabbalah, Kabbalistic practices. And some of it even makes it into Jewish canon. Um, the Siddur, the prayer book, um, and the El Adon poem both have or very probably have origins in mystic traditions. You think that you think as far as the ancient, you think the ancient Egyptians and stuff, these people that knew this or that practice some of this, which I'm, I'm not trying to confuse them with the Jews, but um, you think that some of this old magic and stuff or, or the ways of meditation, whatever you think this might be, these might be things that were described in these uh, supposed uh, grand Canyon Egyptian just uh, just a snowball thought i was just wondering oh yeah like uh like in the 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 hieroglyphs and the walls and stuff down there yeah i mean yeah, i don't see why it wouldn't be right yeah. <laughs> well i mean the government has an interest in it that's why i'm saying you yeah know, there is an interest well in and that could just be there's a history of something down there that they don't want us to find too yeah um which is or something honestly, down there. There's something still. Yeah, living there's down something. There. <laughs> yeah, there's still some red-haired fucking giants down there. Is what's going on. Yeah. Uh, well, there was uh, mentioning that uh, there's two Egypts. One over, obviously, in Egypt, and two could have possibly been the Grand Canyon area. And if you look at the formations and the structures there, those uh, natural quote-unquote uh, formations look a lot like. Uh, uh, old structures like temples and stuff. Well, and there's actually a place in southern Illinois that is called Little Egypt. Like they, uh, they, uh, you'd have to look it up. I don't, you know, don't quote me on anything. I just, I listen to this stuff, you know, constant, you know, finding content for the show and filtering some of it out and some of it, but I, I remember crossing some of it. 
here a while back uh, on YouTube, people talking about this uh, the place in in, in Illinois that's dubbed. Uh, I think it has something to do with caves too, but dubbed it Little Egypt. There's a lot that ends up going into some of this stuff, man. It's a yeah. lot to get into. Uh, you know, like right along after you get this first wave of mysticism, you just start to see an explosion in the the practice of Jewish magics. Mm-hmm. which is a kind of a weird thing to consider with like Deuteronomy 18 and all the other prohibitions. But I think that it's interesting when reading like a closer translation to the, the Hebrew or Aramaic, um, it seems to be that those things are more against being a person who does divination or consulting a person who does these kind of things. Not so much that it was a, against the practice itself um especially if there was like supernatural causation yeah it was kind of okay in the first place and like the the evidence with that you know we've got the sota ritual um urim and thurim um which is like an innocent or guilty they're actually on the hoen the uh yeah the breastplate and they would use those as a form of claromancy to help figure out you know, if something was innocent or guilty or cursed or innocent. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a really interesting thing to kind of see is that it was more of a a them, not us. Like those practices are for those other people. Yeah. We we don't we don't mess with that. We don't fool with that kind of thing. So in my opinion, man, I think uh like Joel Thomas said in one of his podcasts with uh Kill a Mockingbirds, um I think originally that and this is just me and this is just uh hearsay from him but um at one point i think stuff like that like the quote-unquote magic was uh good at one point and um i think um why uh yahweh uh banned it though was it got tainted by the fallen angels so um if you look at the, the scenes they uh they practice a lot of this stuff, but if you look at their history, um, what happened was they became corrupted and they split into two camps between, um, and I hate using this word, good as scenes and bad as scenes. And there was right, some type right. of battle. So, but yeah, like going right along, man, I think originally um, a lot of this knowledge was meant for good, but like I said, just got um, tainted along the way. Yeah, and that's kind of an interesting concept that starts to starts to kind of uh, show its face a little more once you start getting towards like uh, Sefer Bahir and Sefer Yetzirah, and especially in Sefer Zohar, because um, like it's what's really interesting to me is uh, like you have the whole story with Saul going to the witch at Endor and consulting this woman and being like, Hey, I need you to do this thing. And she's like, Hey, no, this is illegal now. And he's like, no, it's cool. I know a guy. And so she does it. Right. And then she's like, and then she gets scared because when she summons that, that Ruhak of Samuel and realizes, Oh shit, this is Samuel. Um, it, it says kind of specifically, that he's shown like an Elohim or an Elim, yeah. depending on if you're looking at a more Akkadian version. Um, 
And that, you know, after that, he chastises the shit out of Saul and is like, what, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Quit this. It's over, you know? And then even after that, she's still like, she's still like consoles Saul. Uh, and yeah. she's like, she's like, it's okay, buddy. You know, and then like feeds him, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's like, well, obviously they didn't think these people were bad people or they wouldn't have written about these people in such a polite manner, you know? And we have evidence of that as well. They did not write nicely about people they did not like. So it's pretty interesting that it's really does seem to kind of depend on the times, which is a lot of this stuff, you know, because like, again, you have Elisha raising the dead. You have Solomon having magical power over demons and also um, an exorcistic psalm. You have uh, Honey the Circle Maker who was like, I'm not not stepping out of this circle, Yahweh, until you make it rain. And sat there (laughs) and like got in this little dispute with Yahweh and then Yahweh made it rain and he stepped out of the circle and then he was he stepped back in the circle and was like, calm it down. You're making it rain too hard. You know, like (laughs) also a very interesting story. Um, And then you've got, you know, even uh, the, the pseudepigraphical author of the Zohar itself, uh, Shimon Bar Yochai, Mm -hmm. there's a story where he comes out of a cave after 12 years of uh, like studying Torah and and trying to improve himself and focusing on like you know good works and things of that nature he comes out of this cave after 12 years and sees everybody working on a holiday and just starts shooting fire out of his eyes burning <laughs> burning all the stuff that people are working on um so there's a, there's a lot of very interesting interesting stories that come from this works that I would have never been acquainted with outside of it. And just, just these stories are so epic that it, it makes it worthwhile. One of the most intriguing ones, I think there is, is the, uh, story about the, the golem, not yeah. the, not the freaking, uh, uh, Lord of the Rings character. I'm talking about, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The mud creature. Yeah, the uh, the artificial humanoid. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple of different stories. I can't remember specific rabbis' names, but there's one where a rabbi creates a golem and then sends it to another rabbi. And when it arrives, the rabbi recognizes it as a golem. And uh, I believe he takes a note out of its mouth, but I may have that mistaken with something else. And then tells it, go back to the dust that you were. And it just kind of disintegrates. And then there's a second story where uh, two rabbis are in the desert and they don't have any food. So they make a, a calf, a third size calf, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they, they bring the, this golem of this calf to life and then eat the calf. Um, so there's quite a few, quite a few golem, uh, stories that go throughout. And that really kind of starts, I believe with Yetzirah, the book of formation. Mm. Well, what's interesting (laughs) is, uh, the mentioning of, uh, 
of the dirt and clay. So if you look at the biblical references, Adam was yeah. made out of the dust and clay or whatever the translation uses. Right. Yeah, whichever translation you're reading, I guess, yeah. is really all that depends on. Yeah, and there's um, also... Well, uh, and see... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and there's also uh, that one passage where uh, Jesus uses the quay and uh, spits on it and puts it on the eyes of the of the blind man and heals him. So I think uh, going along with that tradition, it's uh, uh, trying to prove that there's... Uh, recreating or uh right what's the word I'm looking at? there's some type of creation or recreation yeah there's a there's a proxy creation happening yeah. there yeah right and that's kind of interesting a little interesting tidbit that you're mentioning there because that is kind of how the whole golem thing is originally thought of right they're like hey if we are technically divine creatures if we have this enlightenment, if you will, from our study, we should be able to create. And they, you start seeing a lot of that kind of pop up where the uh, the Aramaic, the Hebrew, those alphabets are started to be meditated on because, you know, Yahweh created via speech. So thus, they too should be able to create out of speech. And that's kind of where you see that come from. And it's interesting because a lot of the a lot of the residual of the syncretisms throughout, you know, be it modern uh, syncretisms of old Hebrew practices, mm -hmm. or even like the Egyptian and Mesopotamian or or Grecian or Greek um, practices, the the biggest things you see left over if you look on a lot of the especially like the circles and seals. It's always the Hebrew words that are kept because it's kind of as if the the words themselves, the speech is what gives it the power. And to the Hebrews, this makes an exceptional amount of sense because their Yahweh would speak Aramaic, would speak Hebrew. Yeah. And so that is the language. And so concentrating on that and meditating on that. And it's also interesting that abracadabra has roots in Aramaic, yep. Avrakadavra, which means uh, I create through speech, um, or as I speak, I create or something of something to that effect. Um, and also, you know, you look at talismans, very heavily covered in Hebrew script, demon bowls, unless you were illiterate, your demon bowl probably had Hebrew script in it. If you were illiterate, they just made it squiggles. So it looked like words. <laughs> and uh you know yeah good luck to you i guess um and you'll see a lot of that stuff start to pop up in like that sefer harazahim um which also kind of gives you a ability to manipulate and learn from angels pretty much anything you want to from angels um and then you've got the harba de moshe um which is two texts or it's the sword of moses um, one of the texts is a long code book that's like a list of uh, Hebrew letters and words. And then you take that letter or word and you take it over to the second and it gives you either spell or incantation or or some such that you're to use for your situation. 
this is around this time that we also see uh, the first real beginnings of an astrological practice mm-hmm. among the early Israelites, the early Hebrew people, um, with the Sefer Hayashahar, um, which is like astrological and angel magic. Yeah. Um, which shows just how syncretic these these people were with these ideas because there was no early practice of astrology with these people. Um, and right after that, you get like the most magically attested work in like the history of it, which is the Sefer Raziel Hamalach, um, which again is an influence of syncretism. It's got astrological angel magic and it contains a ton of amulets and angelic script. Um, and this, this book is so protective. Like it's such, it's such an object of, I guess you could say divinity that they print it in tiny versions and in microfilm so that you can carry them with you. And just having one in your house is supposed to prevent house fires. Mm. And you said that's a little scroll, a little script. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, you can get like large versions, but it's not a very big, it's not a very big book. And so you can get versions printed on microfilm. Um, (laughs) No, not these ones. Those are Alice Bailey's books. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They protect you from fire. (laughs) Hers don't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I imagine hers will bring a lot of fire into your future. <laughs> um, but uh, I was just wondering, but I, that's probably not, uh, is it too soon that that was a Maui reference? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all right. Yeah. It's counterpoint. We don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody's going to get too mad at us. Uh, no, dude, this, like the, the uh, these are things I've never heard of, you know, the, well, I mean, I've heard of the Kabbalah and stuff, but like some of these, some, some of the stuff in it that you're talking about, I've never even, you know, this Dude, is when I first, for me. <laughs> when I first got into this, I was like, man, everybody talks about practicing this or researching it heavily. Like, shouldn't, obviously it can't be that, that seriously complicated or half of the people that you listen to that are in some sort of occult practice or, or a chemical practice or what have you wouldn't be talking about practicing it or researching it because there would be, it would be too much work and most people aren't going to put in for that. And then I started really getting into it and I was like, Oh no, (laughs) Oh no. You know, like, and it just started compounding. Like I get it. And a lot of this stuff was very foreign just to me when I started reading into some of it. And like I said, man, I'm still trying to like get in contact with a couple rabbis, maybe see if I can set up a zoom call with them or something so that I can get some of the finer points. And some of the points that I'm not going to catch on as a non-Jewish person and, and maybe kind of see if I can get a little bit more explicit, but this isn't like a thing. There are practices that root from early mysticism and Kabbalah that are in Jewish practice, but not every Jewish person actually like delves in and practices Kabbalah. And if I'm not mistaken, even to this day, you have to be 40 years old married have a job and have 
have like a decent education before you're even allowed to study Kabbalah because it's created such large issues in the past. So you have to be rooted. They want you to, in, they want you to have a good yeah. head on your shoulders to be able to understand. Right, that. right. They want you to be smart. They want you to be rooted to the to your reality so that you don't get lost or or start to think you're the Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be good shit. Uh. And I mean, like, I don't. There's parts of that that I I don't understand, because like, looking back, every time somebody's been like, I'm a I'm a savior of something, no matter what it was or where it came from. You could be a savior of your tribe against a, a rebelling army. It didn't matter what you were a savior of. You're dead, homie. You're yeah. dead. Somebody's gonna kill you, and even like prophet isn't a good job. Philosopher's not a great job because as those regimes change and as people's ideas shift, you're you're like we either severely earlier, outdated. You talk about something that offends them, you're like you're dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're out. Even if you're so, it's a really interesting like, thing know, that trying to help or you know trying to uh, to uh, contribute to the philosophy of their, if you, if it's something somebody above you or somebody beside you doesn't agree with like you're you're getting stoned yeah with. not in a good way yeah not in a good way at all yeah. not the way that i've been stoned to death <laughs> dude i have been stoned to death a few times but never like that yeah yeah, um, yeah. that would be pretty heavy <laughs> i've been droned not uh, <laughs> drunk and stoned. Right, That's yeah, what I, I call it. it. I love it. I'm fucking drunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Hell what, yeah. So what, what is it when you're drunk and tripping? You call that dripping? That's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, guys. I came in and fucked up your whole cabal party. I apologize. Oh no, dude. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> no, man. We're having a good time here. I'm enjoying myself. It really is. It really is. Where are we at now? Well, right now we're about 500 common era. Uh, and you're, you're <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We're still not fully there. Like I said, man, there's a ton. Um, so right around this time, you have the Sefer Yetzer pop up, um, the book of formation. It's very small. It's about 2,000 words. Um, it's attested to be. Uh, from Abraham the patriarch, um, but no one really knows. Um, the the one important thing to note with this is that it is the first mention of the Sephirot that would become the Kabbalistic tree of life that we are all familiar with. But at this point, they're not divine emanations, um, but more like uh, a similar principle to what you would see with the Pythagorean and Platonic schools, where there's kind of uh, a monad, and then from that monad you get different spheres, as the the monad allows things to be brought into reality, almost more of like a numero ontological type principle. Yeah. Um, and uh, you do have some analysis of the Hebrew alphabet here, um, and some association with the three registers of reality, which is like um, Olam or the world, Shana or change and Nefesh or the soul. And it's interesting that we were, 
<laughs> it's interesting that we were just talking about the golem because the Yetzirah is where the golem kind of initially comes up and begins to be discussed um, and typically is only created again out of clay and by meditations. And usually it's like the highest of rabbis. It is the most, most holy of the rabbis that are going to be able to do something like bring this clay to life and kind of proxy the creation of Yahweh through speech to a speechless thing. And, uh, you know, shortly after Yetzirah is making its rounds, that's when we really start seeing the move into Europe and the beginnings of the Ashkenaz, which there's not a lot of information about. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing from my understanding that we get from this is the unique Sherb circle, which is just a concept of emanation where divine power flows from the divine and becomes manifest through a unique cherub, um, which leads you into the text that's going to be the Sefer Bahir or the Book of Brightness. Um, and again, this is going to be a combination of that unique cherub circle and the Sefer Yetzirah. And so it's going to go through a formation of the Hebrew alphabet, and it also gives you a solid discourse on 10 sephirot as divine emanations that Yahweh flowed through to fill the world. And then it's also going to introduce what's going to be real big when we get into that Zohar, which is the Shekinah, or the feminine divine. And it's really interesting because you start to see here kind of ideas that you would see in like early British literature classes, like courtly love, you start to see that sort of wording kind of blend in to this medieval era mystic text. Um, and it's also interesting to note that the Shekinah is always, as far as I, as far as I'm aware, is always described as an exile from the side of light and a princess from far away, which could be kind of a lingering uh, Gnostic kind of syncretism to that Gnostic Sophia myth. Um, yeah. If you're familiar with that. Uh, so the Bahir also gives us the, the setup for the actual tree formation of that Kabbalistic tree of life, because it's going to describe divine power as a living tree with a root system, with limbs, with buds, with flowers. And it, it's going to be vastly important. That's going to set us up for the whole tree of life. Um, and it also begins to make the shift that we're going to see in the Zohar with evil being part of primordial chaos being part of this thing that has to be here. It isn't just kind of an opposition for sake of opposition. Yeah, man. And uh, that's interesting that you bring that up, especially with uh, uh, the chaos, um, you know, in the old Testament, God was talking about how, and I'm not going to preach any sermons here, but 
how uh, sin was like an animal or a beast. And um, it's kind of hinting like it's always been there. And it's something you can't really get rid of, but something like in the um, uh, book of Revelation said, it's it can be locked up or in the end, in the end, after uh, uh, when God reigns, he's going to throw hell and sin into an eternal eternal fire so i mean it's always going to be there but it's going to be locked up essentially right and the further you get into into this stuff the more it starts to just the the concept of evil is it's something that's going to be there and by practicing the jewish kabbalah alongside jewish law you kind of push back against it and then hopefully, you know, when the when the Messiah comes, there's enough of a gap there that he can take it all out. And, you know, that's when the Sephiroth line up into that that perfect ideal tree of life. And the uh, the Quipoth are hence destroyed. And there's that marriage between mm -hmm. the first Sephiroth and the last Sephiroth and then everything everything is you know i guess good from there <laughs> oh yeah uh, that's uh extremely deep i mean there's no i don't think uh you, no matter how much studying you can do on it there's no 100 understanding it right right and it's interesting to see just how many people spent their whole life yeah you know, just doing this, even in, even in, you know, starting to get more into the, the middle ages, the high middle ages coming out towards the Renaissance period there, even then people are still dedicating lifetimes just to this study, trying to figure out what they can do to help make the world better, help make themselves better yeah. and, and kind of set the world up for the return of the messiah i agree man uh i know uh we were when we were uh before we started recording uh maddie um you and i were shooting forth back ideas about what the tree of life was right um and one of the theories i had on it i mean this is just a thought and i don't even know how i feel about it but um you know in the in the bible it never mentions that uh adam and eve ate an apple it just says fruit and uh i think in my opinion man like if you're looking at the looking at this from the cabalistic uh, point of view i think they the serpent gave them some form of for forbidden knowledge esoteric knowledge that um i don't know i guess the corrupted part of the cabalistic tree of life i should say Right. Well, and there's that whole that whole mirrored like tree of death, quote unquote, I idea that you see come through, um, especially after the uh the treaty on the the treaty on the emanations of the left hand, mm -hmm. um, where you start to see the whole sephirot be be mirrored in a have its own demonic whole side to that um 
And along with that, like, I really think that that could make sense from a Kabbalistic ass point because at the time of Eden, everything was still in harmony. So you still would have had your Sephiroth in that tree formation. And then if it was the first sin that caused that corruption, then they would have, they would have fallen into repentance, which again, like we were discussing on that powwow the other night, it's that third Sephiroth, according to the left hand or the emanations on the left hand, it's that third Benah that's repentance. That is yeah. the one that caused the distortions all the way down that left hand side to create the reverse Kabbalistic tree of life, if you will, the reverse Sephiroth. Yeah, and I actually got the uh, commentary of the Sohar here, um, and I'm actually going to read a quick uh, um, excerpt of uh, what the Benai is. So, and this is from uh, the Essential Sohar by uh, Rav P.S. Berg. Not too familiar with the author, but uh, he writes pretty interesting stuff. And so, going along with that third, um, the Benai, it's, uh, I'm just quoting here. Topping the left column, Benah is considered to be the universal mother figure and complementing, um, I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's like Shema, Shema's knowing. It carries the property of understanding. Benah also contains all energy from that which motivates human endeavor to that which keeps galaxies spinning. Uh, uh, Shakma and Benah, again, I'm probably butchering those names. <laughs> As Chakma and Bana, universal father and mother meet, thought becomes manifest in action. Their uh, combined energies are funneled through a pseudo sephirah called uh, Dat, I guess. Which uh, yeah, Dat, yeah, which lies on the central column below uh, Keter. Even to Kabbalists, Da'a is enigmatic, but while not regarded as a true sephirah, it is thought to unify the energies of Shakmas, Wisdom, and Benas, understanding, transmitting them to the lower Sephirot as knowledge. Da'a is, is frequently associated with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that the Creator placed in the Garden of Eden along with the tree of life. Right on, yeah. And that's kind of the that's kind of the interesting thing is that the one that's definitely associated, you know, with it, tree of life formation, the odd is really generally just considered a a pseudo sephiro. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a weird thing. And there's, you know, there's several different ideas on this this whole sephirotic tree thing where you've got some people that think that in the bottom that there's actually 13 Sephiroth and that there's three kind of nested in that bottom one, kind of recalling back to the whole idea of nested Sephiroth. And then you've got later on, as you get further down, um, you know, throughout into the, especially that Zohar where they start having mirrored counterparts. And then later that explodes as well into having 13 other there's, Sephiroth within Sephiroth within Sephiroth reflections of the entire Sephirotic tree and the and it begins to get very very confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it it really is just like a whole 
a whole cascading thing, you know, with the with the Zohar in particular, that's almost directly linked back to Sagi Nehor. It was one of his uh, students that kind of pushed his idea of the the Sephirot being just the ten Sephirot, and then continued with uh, looking specifically into Golem creation, and then. He also, of course, actively was like, hey, don't write this down. Um, but he also had this idea that the Genesis creation story was the world before ours, mm-hmm. not our world. And then our world mirrors that world that the Sephiroth was originally created in, which bleeds all the way through the, the Providence Circle, which is a couple of his students who published, ironically enough, published his system of uh, the system I wrote and began to kind of combine that with philosophical ideology. And that's when you get to the Castile Circle, which uh, Moshe de Leon would have been very probably a part of or a student of as he authored, uh, he and his compatriots authored the Zohar. Um, and then, of course, in between those, right around that same time, you've got the Cohen brothers who wrote the uh, the treaties of the emanations of the left-hand side, mm-hmm. which very obviously influenced the Zohar as well, because there's that whole breakdown in the Zohar of uh, what's very probably a sin, because in the Zohar it talks about that... Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, it escapes me. There's uh, something to do with... Let me grab here. Some sort of... Some sort of sin that initially broke. Because man at that point was wholly spiritual. Yeah. After creation in the Zohar. Uh, according to the, the Zohar's commentaries. It's after some sin that doesn't seem to be listed that man ends up becoming material that the material plane is is kind of thrown into existence and it seems according to the to the writings in the zohar that adam was very infatuated with the shekinah and that the the Shekinah is the divine is the feminine divine in according to the Kabbalah. Um so Adam found himself terribly infatuated with the with the feminine divine and some sort of sin caused the material world to uh plunge into existence. Now the Zohar in itself you can now that's that's translated, right? Yeah, you can't get that yeah. There are several copies of the Zohar. Um, the Zohar is technically five volumes. Now, um, is it not part of the? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's actually it is the last, uh, the last manuscript, the last text yeah. to actually be considered, uh, like considered scripture in the in the Jewish traditions. Yeah. Um, after this, nothing else becomes scripture. And it is very, very core. It is also um, 
very ironically worded at times, it can get a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, We're good. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and that whole thing with Shaq and I there also kind of reflects back to that Gnostic Sophia myth where wisdom ended up going, hey, I can do this. It brought forth a creation that was imperfect and created a dark material world, um, which is kind of according to the Gnostics, where we're at is this dark material world of imperfection, impurity that was brought forth by the arrogance of a uh, feminine wisdom. Well, uh, going on a side note here, um, do you guys hear, have, have you guys heard about that one uh, AI program called Sophia? That, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, crazy shit, dude. What, what, I, I've just heard of it. What is, what, uh, what all is going on with it? It's this advanced AI system that, uh, for lack of a better word, it thinks it's God, basically. Really? Yeah. And uh so see even the fucking AIs is uh corruptible. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and it's kind of funny that its name is Sophia and yeah. it thinks it's God. And then there's that Gnostic myth of of the Sophia that was well, a lesser I, deity. Yeah. I think, what do you uh, think you can think you can just just think that like like look at how imperfect we are, and you know God has mercy on us. Right, we were made in His image. Something made in our image is that much worse. Right, <laughs> you know, like AI, you know. Just uh, well, and that's why only the most the most pure and holy rabbis can make a golem, and even then the golem is you know mute. It only does what it's directed to do. It doesn't really have any higher intelligence. Now, does Which, this have any? Uh, do you think that has any thing to do with the J.R.R. Tolkien's dubbing of the Golem? Um, I imagine that Tolkien probably took the name from there. Yeah. I don't. I can't. I don't have any evidence to prove or disprove that. I do have evidence to prove that Tolkien took a whole bunch of names for the dwarfs and even Gandalf from. The uh, I believe it's the Voluspa in the Poetic Edda. You know, he was he was good for it. He liked to incorporate that sort of stuff. Um, and it would be interesting because Golem, I guess if you if you pronounce it just right, does kind of sound like a cough or like a weird like clearing your throat thing. Just uh, I'm just snowballing ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean that's an interesting interesting Swinging thing to think fence. about, <laughs> especially knowing you know like he took he took ideas from everywhere. And put out a travelogue. <laughs> Those are some slow ass books, guys. Yeah, I like Tolkien. I like Tolkien's translations. If it wasn't for Tolkien, we wouldn't have Beowulf. Uh, yeah. We wouldn't have Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. There's lots of things that he translated that did great, but the man writes very slowly. I'm telling you um, right now, there's only one trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not fucking Lord of the Rings. Uh, Crip's gonna fall. Crip's gonna roll over mad. (laughs) I'm not a fan. I like, uh, have you ever seen? I think it's Clerks. Clerks 2. 
Yeah. 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 Another reference. <laughs> oh, fucking died. He, he like walks up to the counter three times. And then the last time he's like, just drops, <laughs> drops the ring. He's like, there's the three, there's your three movies. <laughs> hey, the books are the same way, man. I do like, like The Hobbit. Like, I remember being a kid in school and reading The Hobbit. You know, The Hobbit was written for kids. Well, the funny thing is, you know, you realize, like, as you get older, you know, we read these stories of fantasy as a kid, and and we're told, you know, not, you know, that none of this is real. We're, we're really today, well, especially when we were growing up, that society was rooted in reality. And then we get older, and we get into these things like the Kabbalah and the spiritualism and stuff, and you're like, wait a second, yeah, why are we? Why were we being dumbed down? in between childhood and now because you know we were damn near on the right path then you know and it really yeah think about it, there's a lot of you know there is a lot of magic and mysticism in this stuff yeah well also if you've got if you've got a spirit you know and if you've got an understanding of your spirit and what you can what you can do with just some insight on yourself you know you're always going to have some form of hope it's going to be a lot harder to suppress a person with hope with with a fiery spirit than it is with somebody who just lives in a material plane of existence. Yeah. I always think back to the way we're being conditioned. I always think back to the, the video uh, off the wall when they start playing another brick at the wall and they're manufacturing all these people. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a you talk about a beautiful mind. Old Roger Waters, he was he had a way of uh, uh, sticking it to the man and, and drawing pictures for people that makes them think, you know. Yeah. But uh, no, back like the stuff like uh, like there. So there are pieces of it, and I, I'm I'm just wanting this like because I want to look into it too, and I know some of the people listening will. But there there so there are pieces like the Zohar. It's translated to English. Yeah, yeah. And there's there was another uh, one too, wasn't there? What I found one? there's several. Um, there are some good sources by uh, Joseph Don. Um, uh, I can't remember the guy's first name. Last name is Sholem. He does some good. He does some good commentaries. He does some good translating. Um, and there's uh PDF copies of like. Uh, the emanations of the left-hand side that you can find if you're digging through the right search engines or the right internet archives. Yeah. And that's a lot of what I try to find. Um, a lot of the stuff, if you're looking at buying a copy, they can get real, real expensive. Um, the Zohars are fortunately pretty affordable. Um, the Bahir can be pretty affordable depending on where you get it. Um, but again, a lot of this stuff, uh, that is translated, unless you can read like Hebrew, um, or even some of it may be in like Moroccan, uh, there's a few five or six different languages that some of this stuff's in and you can find some of those, but there's a lot of texts that are still in Aramaic that haven't even been completely translated into a, a modern version of the Hebrew language. Well, keep your place, Matty, because I, I want to get back to this. And we're gonna we'll pick up with this again next week. Um, and we're running right at it. This on this one, I think. But um, these, uh, if you'll send me over the links, we'll put them. We'll put these links out for everybody. 
Hell yeah, I can do that. But guys, we're, I want to I want to go ahead and draw that one. We'll draw this one in. That way we can save enough for another segment because I I know you put a lot of work into this, and I I want to be able to pull up this PDF because I can't pull or this uh, document because I can't get it to work on this for on my phone or the computer. Um, I've tried opening it in two different things, so we'll, I want to be able to have that to reference to to ask you some questions. But yeah, most definitely. I'll see if. Uh... The main reason I wanted to use a Google Doc was because I figured I could give you guys permissions to get in it and and look at it and commentate on it. That way, you know, if you had a question, theoretically, if you typed it out in in like live time, I could just yeah. see it pop up or whatever. But that doesn't appear to be working. So we'll figure something out for that for sure. If I have to, I'll just make a, a Microsoft uh, copy of it and I'll email you a Microsoft copy. Did you if you've got Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, and you've got so much stuff on here. We might open up a channel because I'm sure there's going to be people talking about it and asking questions. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll definitely do that. And, guys, keep it, keep Maynard in your prayers, in your heart. He, uh, Most he's definitely. He's going through a rough yeah. time, and he's he's a – you know, he, he loves everybody in the in, in the Discord. We've all, you know, we've all, we've all been fond of each other and definitely Maynard and his situation. So, uh, but on a lighter note, we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> Have a good one.